0: Let's see what's on board today. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Educational Triage. This week, we have Kurt Richards, and we are talking about 30 Insights for New Teachers to Thrive. Hey, Kurt, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you doing, Tony?
0: I'm doing just great. Hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote this book?
1: Okay, well um i am from the upstate of south carolina i'm sure you can't tell by my accent (laughs) (laughs) and uh i attended many years ago attended clemson university and i studied animal agriculture and wildlife biology um i had no plans to teach and when i was uh, in classes where we had to do presentations people would tell me Oh, you ought to teach. You ought to be a teacher. And my response was, "No way." Well, this September will be my fortieth year teaching somewhere. So obviously, I eventually uh, went to it and loved it and it became my my career and in my life. Um, so basically, I after I've been teaching in public school for twenty eight years and then teaching at a private. Uh, massage school, teaching anatomy, for 12 years, um, I decided that during that time to pass on some of the things that I've learned, th- things that I've picked up as far as um, teaching, to, not only teaching techniques, but ways to think about teaching and your students. And so that's when I started scribbling down some uh, thoughts and kind of started uh, deciding to put it into what I call uh, eventually call insights rather than chapters um, each insight is a couple of pages in the book that will um, guide people in certain areas so it's it's not something that's extremely lengthy that you have to sit down and take a lot of your time to read so that was one of my goals is to make it quick and easy and to the point and leave out a lot of educational jargon, and just if you're in the classroom, especially if you're starting in the classroom, these are some uh, situations that you're gonna be faced with. And it's not, it, it's not just practical guidance for you know, maneuvering all the everyday issues such as uh, behavior, but it's also ways to reach students, ways to think about students' minds and how they learn. So, I kind of wanted to go in in that direction as well. I bring in some uh, brain science, and this is what happens in our brain when we uh, study certain things. so I believe it's something that's an advantage to k through twelve and beyond. Um, you can find something even though I was a science teacher in middle school and high school uh, and then post uh, school, but um I think you could apply these insights to any great level
0: and it is a quick read yes and it's almost something that maybe you want to read first thing in the morning and think about and use it for the rest of the day or maybe at the beginning of the week and use it maybe as an exercise Mm
1: -hmm. to see how you can do Mm -hmm. i think so i think that um if someone had this book with them in the classroom, that when they have a, a spare moment, if those do exist in teaching, to be able to uh, look up something and get a little, little uh, idea about how to maybe handle an issue that's come up.
0: And it feels a little, it's down to earth. Well, and it feels, it, it's sort of common sense in many ways
1: oh absolutely
0: when you think about it but it's put forth in such a straightforward fashion that it gives you're able to think around it as opposed to trying to dig in and and do all this i don't know you don't have to chew it really hard in right. order to get what you need
1: and that's kind of what I meant by the, the educational jargon, so to speak, which I'm not knocking right. educational classes, but sometimes we get too much into our vocabulary and, and uh, go too deep. And it's just uh, this is what you're going to be faced with. And these are some ideas on how to deal with it. And um, and that might be classroom issues. Uh, it might be administration. It might be how to deal with parents. Uh, and not uh, i'm not making it like it's a negative thing like all these bad things are going to happen no um, ways that uh, you can reach students and ways you can get parents involved to to help you in the ways that you can uh, deal with um, all the administrative overload sometimes it happens
0: so who was your audience obviously first-time teachers or yes. novice teachers but Would you say that this is, were you also writing for teachers just to kind of take a step back and have a little bit of a refresher course?
1: I think, yes, I think both. Uh, First thing I think about was I trained during my career, officially trained 13 uh, practice teachers from college, and then I mentored several teachers uh, throughout my career. So I I look at it if somebody is going into teaching, uh, they're still in college and they haven't gotten their first job, this would be an excellent book for them. Uh, But also your first year, first one, two, three years, we always say that the first year you kind of go through and do the best you can, second year you correct what you screwed up the first year. And then the third year, you're kind of sailing a little bit better. So it's anywhere in that. However, if any teacher feels like they're feeling uh, almost like going toward burnout, or maybe they're feeling just like they need a little more of incentive, I think any teacher, I don't care if you've been teaching 15 years, could, could read some of these chapters and definitely Uh, agree with them, uh, reinforce what they're doing to something. It's kind of like a pat on the back. Hey, I'm doing that. So, you know, um, but I also think that this is be excellent for administrators to read, to understand some of the, um, day-to-day processes that teachers have to face. Um, I know administrators have been teachers, but sometimes you only have to be a a teacher for like three years or so and then you go into administration and after a while you kind of forget because you're dealing with it from a different perspective. So I think it would be excellent for administrators to sit down and read through a few chapters.
0: Or even maybe to make it an exercise for them to go through with the teachers.
1: Oh absolutely you know they could just buy a book for every teacher in the school and we'd all be happy. <laughs>
0: Do you think that this book addresses the holistic training for teachers or the holistic need for teachers in that you're going for a complete sort of diagnostic or training of teachers where they are becoming a whole person and it's not just do this, do that?
1: Oh, yes, yes, definitely. It's it's not just a and, and, and that's the way the book is, but also teaching is not uh, even though teachers are list makers and they like to check off the list. It's not OK. I did this today. Now I do this today. Now now I've been a good teacher. No, um, I think I said uh, in the beginnings of this, uh, if I could just read a couple sentences,
0: that'd be great. This,
1: um. It says you can study and apply all the brain science that research has to offer. You can sit in college classes and professional workshops and take volumes of notes about how to organize a classroom and how to present material. You can read a hundred how-to books on teaching and classroom management. You can scour the internet and read all the teacher blogs available. You can even construct your lesson plans so that they correspond perfectly with the state standards. But if you don't love what you do and love what you're teaching and love who you're teaching, then you will never be a highly effective teacher and the classroom is probably not the place for you that you should be. So I think the foundation is to truly in your heart, love what you're doing and love who you're, you're in front of you and to love what it, the, the subject matter or what it, or the grade level that you're teaching. Um, that's a foundation and then everything else builds from there. Now, it's not just that. Some, a lot of teachers probably, oh, I love all these little kids, but then they don't prepare. No, um, it's just like a house. You've got a foundation, but you have to build on top of that. But if right. you don't have the proper foundation, and so I think from that, that spreads out into all areas of your life, not just Mm -hmm. when you walk in the classroom.
0: What do you think, did you put these in order of importance or?
1: Not really. No, I kind of put them in order of how they came out of my head. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Um, to be honest with you, uh, I sort of did. I mean, I, I, it wasn't absolutely planned that way, but looking at the, uh, Chapters. The first few chapters are kind of about things um, classroom management tools. I'll just look at the, a couple of the, in them. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but all the insights. The first one is monitor and adjust. Okay, to be able to mm-hmm. to make changes. The next one is classroom management rules and corrections. So one of the first things that people that students are to do is to of course introduce, and then these are the rules of this classroom, um, and then teaching to various learning styles. So you're going to have a lot of students in there that are, that that are, uh, learn different ways and uh, they, they want to learn, but they, you've got to come at it the, the right way. Um, Let me stop.
0: Let me jump in. Let me jump in really jump quick. In. Yes. Um, the second one that you had, okay, which was Classroom the management. rules, how important do you think it is for the students to maybe sit down and come up with a set of rules?
1: Oh, I think I think that's an excellent idea. I've actually done that before where... I would say, okay, you know, on a sheet of, and this was for middle school and high school. Now, I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. this may not apply for first grade, but uh, you could just do it as a um, just talking to everybody. What do you think classroom rules should be? These students know how to respond in a classroom. Uh, as I've told many practice teachers,
0: <clears throat>
1: you're going to have students. That's got like if you're a tenth grade teacher, you're gonna have students that's got eleven at least eleven years practice of giving teachers hard time, <laughs> so they're they're excellent at what they do. Uh, so you have to you have to just expect that. But I think number one, I would always tell my students that there's really one rule: don't do anything that interferes with my teaching. And don't do anything that interferes with somebody's learning. And then I would underscore that with respect, respect me, respect your fellow students. That doesn't mean you have to agree with me. You can come up and talk to me as long as you can do it in a respectful manner. You can disagree all day long with anything that I have to say, but don't interfere with, with what I'm trying to do here. And don't let, don't interfere with another student's learning so from that is like the foundation and then we would come up with specifics i try not to inundate rules 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 right. now in my case i taught a laboratory sciences so we did have to have specific safety rules in the laboratory you know uh, one of my favorite was that hot glass looks just like cold glass <laughs> you know, so students would, uh, you know, grab a hot beaker and, ah, you know, burn themselves. So there's got to be, if you're a PE teacher, you've got to have specific rules. And, and most of that goes from safety as well as just uh, dealing with large numbers of people. Um, but, yeah, I think that having some ideas, I've gotten some good ideas from students before. It's amazing how when you ask them, especially teenagers, Tell me rules, you know, what if you were going to make a list of rules, what would they be? And they start reading them to you. Uh, it's, it's just amazing how much they know how to respond and act in the classroom.
0: See, in, I've used it as a way to figure out what the dynamics are of the students that I have. Right. So I have them partner up or oh, maybe absolutely. go into small groups and I put them into the groups and I just kind of watch them because. By the time I had them, many of them already knew each other. And some of them had been with each other for maybe 11 or 11, maybe some of them, maybe even 12 years. Um, And so it's really interesting to watch them. But the fundamental component and foundation that they always come up with is respect, respect for self, respect for others. Because if you don't respect yourself, then you're not going to respect anybody else. Exactly. And sometimes, sometimes students really need to learn how to respect themselves because they don't get it outside of school.
1: Mm-hmm. And sometimes and, they don't expect to be respected.
0: Right. <laughs> you know. So, that there in itself can be the basis for why you might end up having some big management problems with them. Exactly. So, you, you then know, okay, this is going to be a project where I need to work with this one.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, too, uh, it's interesting you're talking about the students making up the uh, rules or giving you ideas. Also, I'd ask them, um, add to that consequences. What if somebody does not follow this rule or these rules? And the funny thing is I found that they were generally tougher on consequences than I would have been. Not. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and that's an area where teachers have to uh, consider consequences and how lenient they're going to be or how strict they're going to be. And they have to find, they have to realize that not every situation requires the exact same consequence. Now, I know a lot right. of people say, oh, you got to be uh, across the board, but uh, students aren't totally across the board. Situations no. are not across the board. So, you have to be flexible.
0: Sometimes all it needs is, is a slight correction. And many times I ask the students, I toss it back to the students. Oh, so yeah. if somebody is doing this, what is your responsibility? Right. As opposed to what is my responsibility? Mm-hmm. So if we're working and you're all working and this one's off task, How do you redirect them? And students are so programmed to think that the teacher is the one who's really in charge. Mm -hmm. And no, No. the teacher is kind of like the shepherd and the sheep, or maybe you have a pack of dogs. Dogs will self-correct. They will correct each other. Oh, absolutely. Um, And other animals will as well. So, and I don't, well, sometimes we refer to our students as little critters, but, you know. It, it starts to empower them, and it gives them the autonomy, I think, in learning that mm-hmm. it's okay to say something to somebody as opposed to snitching.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I found, too, that, that um, correction, that when somebody does something against rules, etc., that I use correction as a learning tool. Is mm-hmm. not just a punishment. It is a correction and find some way that they can learn something out of that correction. Now, obviously, there's going to be some extenuating circumstances where somebody has to go to an administrator or something of that nature, obviously. But uh, the more I think administrators will appreciate teachers that can handle their own problems, their own, own issues the best they can. Right.
0: Right. And sometimes the uh action by the student is for some reason a need for negative attention.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: It's a yeah. cry for attention. And sometimes I'll I'll address that and I'll say, Why do you need why do you need so much attention today? How would you <laughs> like me to give you the attention? Do you want it positive or negative today? So, yeah, Let's work on true. that.
1: And sometimes if I could share a, a quick, quick story. Sure. Um please. I had a student in my high school class that was kind of a character. And I had a large fish tank that was about a 55 gallon tank with a couple fish in there. And he, for various reasons, he put some uh, candy in there so that the whole fish tank turned red. Now it didn't hurt the fish fortunately, But something need to be done. He thought that was all funny. Well, of course, I gave him a choice. Uh, I could write this up an official way to administrator, and he had been in some trouble before, so he didn't really want that. Or you can come after school and you can clean my tank. You know, I gave him that choice, and so he'd. Mm-hmm. So I'll come after school. Well, he came, and he had to pump. It took him a good hour and a half. Or so he pumped out all the water, took the fish out, cleaned all the rocks. He did everything, put it back, made it pristine, and he was proud of himself. And I talked to him about how what this means and that means. And the funny thing was, the next day or so, when anybody went near that fish tank. He would go over there. You better leave that alone. It was all of a sudden he became the guardian of the fish tank, and he learned something, and uh, and and so the correction was taken care of without it being a negative punishment.
0: Right. It's what we would call restorative justice in many ways.
1: Oh, absolutely. So uh, that that's kind of what you look for. Uh, you don't have to make a big blown-out issue about every little thing that somebody does, uh, but mm-hmm. like you said, you give them their, the attention they need, but in a positive way. Uh, sometimes that's all they need. It's just to be seen. They want to just know that that they exist.
0: Now, some teachers find themselves absolutely, I don't know, wound up.
1: <laughs> yes. And
0: so something like that might make them shoot off. So what are some of the insights that you have for self-care so that, because it's very difficult when you have a group of students who need, who need so much from you, but you need to be able to refill your own vessel. Right. Before you can distribute parts of that out. So I know that you have things in there. I know that you have routines um, what else do you have that our listeners might want to use, let's say? So
1: this would kind of be okay. along the line of them uh, heading toward what people love to call burnout, I guess you could say, or at least right. exhaustion. Um several things come come to mind that may not be some of it is directly in the classroom but most of it is stuff that can be done outside the classroom Um, part of it can be teachers can reach a point of boredom where they're teaching the same course the same thing over and over now every school has extra things that they expect committees etc they expect teachers to to be involved in, and they tend to put people into areas of the same area. If you're a science teacher, you'll become the, the person taking care of the science department or whatever. I found that by, since you're going to have to be doing extra uh, work anyway with that, find something totally different from what you do. Uh, example was, I was a science teacher, but due to various reasons, I became, um, the director of the school plays. And partly because my daughter was in the plays, etc., and I became the drama dad. Well, anyway, the long story, but I became the director. I wound up directing seven plays. The good thing was it it was refreshing. It was another artistic outlet. So if the people can find some kind of artistic outlet that's maybe different from what they're doing every day, that that gives them a little, that refreshes them a little. I think within the school Try to avoid toxic environments um, such as and I'm, I'm being very general here, but a, the teacher's lounge <laughs> that can just be a place where where negativity it, it's just in the air. So uh, try to stay away from that sort of environment and, and seek out fellow teachers who are positive and interested in, in, in improving what they do. Um, I think that too, outside of school, you have to unplug. You have to kind of know this is enough. I've done enough today. I've done. I'm not going to do this weekend. I'm going to take Friday night off, whatever it might be. Unplug. Get off of social media, whatever. That, I mean, that's my personal opinion. Some people that may be their their outlet, but um, and and do things with that is emotionally and physically positive Uh, exercise, obviously eating right, this sort of thing, but you need to get your brain out of survival mode. Too often our brain gets in and we just feel like the sympathetic nervous system kicks in and and we're in, and everything is in survival mode. So um, socialize, but also have me time. You know, every and that means different things to different people. To me, it meant going out into the forest a little bit by myself, hiking, sitting by a stream, whatever, to kind of collect yourself and just unplug from what you're doing, and then you can come back and plug back in. uh um, what
0: what about the teachers that let's say that they go 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 mm-hmm. and they go to sleep, and then when they wake up, they basically. Jump out of bed, jump in the shower, jump out, grab maybe a piece of toast or a cup of coffee on their way, and they're right. bam right back into the school. Right. Well, and they've had no time really to actually get themselves together.
1: Exactly. So that's that's. I think we have more choices than we want to admit we have. Now, I realize if you've got two or three young children and then you've got to do that, you take care of them, you got, you know, there's situations, but everybody can sit down with a pad and pencil, maybe, and say, okay, how am I going? What do I really have to do? Can I possibly get up 20 minutes earlier and sit on the back porch with a cup of coffee for 10 minutes? I mean, uh there there are choices. It's just we tend to slide into the same old uh habits, and that's what it's it's a matter of breaking habits uh, in, in mm-hmm. my opinion and I think all of a sudden we start to see that we're um we're more refreshed. Get to- sc- I used to love to get to school. We started school i uh, I think it was something like eight ten or eight fifteen was when the bell rang. I would get to school at least an hour early. I loved to go in that classroom when nobody was in there. And I would get me a, a cup of coffee or something, and I would be doing stuff, but I would do it on my own time, my own way. And I didn't feel uh, rushed or like that. I had to deal with a whole bunch of people. Uh, and because I was going to be around hundreds of people all day long, I needed some me time. So I got there early. You know?
0: And- the nice part about that, because I did the same thing, I would wake up very early in the morning. I would think I was getting up at about between 3 and 3.30, Oof. and then I would take the <laughs> I would take the dogs for a walk. I would do some meditation time. I would do a small workout, eat breakfast, and then I would drive into work, and I had the place to myself, and I could for just that. close my door, and I could just get work done. I, you need to have that loan time just to be able to process and get your thoughts together
1: exactly yeah and and, and it would take a little adjustment you, you uh, as we always say you can't have it all and you can't stay up to after midnight looking at your phone or grading papers or whatever and then expect to get up at six o'clock and sit on the back porch and drink a cup of coffee so you've got to right. just give and take.
0: You have to set some really strict boundaries, I think.
1: Yeah. And it gets to be a habit. To break a habit, you can start with new habits.
0: Now, how does that translate into the classroom? Because of late, they've cut a lot of the programs that allow for different kinds of, uh, let's say, release for the students. So that students don't have as much recess time. They don't have as much time for creative outlets. Um, and to just let off steam. So mm-hmm. they brought social emotional learning into the classroom. How? What are some things that teachers, you believe, should start doing as new teachers or even veterans? Mm-hmm. What are some things that they should be able to do in the classroom that might actually allow for a release to benefit students and their need just to let's say let off a little steam so mm-hmm. the teapot doesn't explode
1: right uh for teenagers nap time i <laughs> know i'm joking <laughs> um they <laughs> always they always uh resist it as, as kindergartners but when they get to be teenagers it's like we can have nap time <laughs> um There's there's a lot of things that come to mind. Uh, I mean, a lot of teachers love to do active things like we're going to take five minutes to do some yoga. or We're going to do some get everybody standing up, doing something, you know, Uh, it depends a lot on your person, personality and what you enjoy. I like. To just talk to my students at first, uh, just even about anything, it might have been about the ball game last weekend. It might have been about a, a movie that's coming out. Get their opinions. Have y'all seen uh, such and such? You know, well, tell me about it. You know, and just get some discussion going about something other than the material. Uh, that was kind of my style, and it got students engaged. It got them listening. Um, also, I think you'll find that. If you're looking at it from, and I don't mean to bash administrators by any means, don't, don't get me wrong, but when you're looking at things from administration point of view, they want, they want control. They want students in their seats listening to the teacher, and that's that. And I, I, I think some of the uh, classrooms where the most learning is going on is when there's the most activity. Uh, so right. sometimes uh, as a science teacher, I would many times have some kind of little science something ready in the in the lab area or on a table even if it was something that i demonstrated Uh, and i would get excited about it you know y'all got to see this you know even if it didn't directly relate to what i was going to be teaching that day just something to get them excited and listening and and involved and ask questions why is it why does that do that what do you think so i think getting them involved in the very beginning of the class even if it's, like I said, talking about a movie or if it's, why do you think this thing happens and that I'm doing this experiment? That's going to uh, take care of a lot of issues and it's get them kind of charged up, uh, for lack of a better word.
0: I think if they do the hands-on, that that helps with some of that mm-hmm. because it can be interactive. Well, it is interactive, but also it's interpersonal. Exactly. Sometimes. I like to maybe reserve some time Uh for them to have just a little bit of free time. Absolutely. If it's five minutes or even if it's 10 minutes, and maybe they can play a card game. Maybe they're playing Jenga, but they have to clean everything up or else they lose that privilege. They could even take a nap if they want. They can listen on their phones. They can do whatever. So part of it is because I don't know that students... Are really good at relating to each other anymore
1: well, yeah, because they're not uh, they're used to doing that on a computer screen more than sitting across from each other
0: right, so the more interactions they can have mm-hmm. with each other, the better, and you can tell who are the ones that are that are a little more socially awkward because they're the ones who will not interact with anybody else right and it's that then becomes kind of your mission to figure out a way to ease them in so that they can become part of the fabric rather than sort of like the little fringe
1: exactly i i think that um i used to do some of what you're talking about and kind of s- would sneak it in make it look like i needed some time i would say okay i'm going to need to change this uh this powerpoint if i'm using a powerpoint or i need to erase this off the board and i need to write something up so y'all take about five minutes and just chill you know and it would be and they would would sit and talk to each other or whatever and that would kind of be i'd do that on purpose they would they didn't realize i was saying hey i'm going to give you all a little downtime here i would make it like hey i need i need some time to do this and then they would just sit and talk or you know, you're going to get one or two come up and can I go get some water and go to the bathroom? Well, some of that. And, and you got to do it per class and know how much time you can give people. But yes, giving them a little break and, and it depends, too, on your classroom situation. When I first started teaching, we had 55 minute classes. But then later on in, the, in my career, we went to 90 minute classes. Well, 90-minute classes are tough for any of us, and students only have, what they say, maybe 15 minutes at the best of attention span, so I would, I would have things designed so that about at least every 20 minutes, we would switch gears and do something, Getting, get them up out of their seats doing something. That was a goal. And then I'd figure out later, what is that something going to be? But that was my goal. And then some, about halfway through, I would that's what I would come up with an excuse to say, okay, y'all give me about five minutes to get this ready. Y'all just sit and talk. And I never had any trouble with that. They loved it.
0: What about the advice that they use for new teachers, which is never turn your back on your students? <laughs>
1: Well, I know what they mean by that, but I, I, I'll be honest with you. I was uh, advising a, a new teacher just uh, last week uh, at, at the place where I'm teaching now. And I was. she wanted me to watch her for a little while. And she had this tendency – now, we're talking about they're teaching adults, so the reason was different. But she had a tendency to turn toward the blackboard and write – or the whiteboard, I guess, and write, write, and talk to the board. And I would tell her, no, you write something and you turn and face the students because number one, they can't necessarily hear you, and it, and and you can get eye contact. I gave them all those reasons. Um, I don't think that a teacher needs to be looking at their students like they're a suspect. They think they're gonna. Uh, throw something at them or whatever, unless of course they do. We probably, if you talk long enough, you've had something thrown across the rib. <laughs> I think the fun, a quick little funny on that was we had a television up in the corner where they would occasionally, the administration would show things, whatever. And I would turn and writing something on the board when the students were maybe taking a test. And I could look up into that television screen. It was like a mirror. And I could see the class, and so all I had to do without turning around, I'd say, you know, uh, Johnny, keep your eyes on your own paper. And they, co- how did he know that? You know, they didn't realize I was looking <laughs> in the, <laughs> I was looking in the TV screen, and I could see everything they were doing. But um, you know, the, the philosophy behind that is kind of negative in that the student, you're you're automatically assuming the students are going to be bad. I've, I've another one that's famous is don't smile until Thanksgiving. You know, I've heard people say don't um, it's easier to loosen up than it is to tighten up, you know, so you could take that. And, and I think it has a lot to do with the classes you teach and it doesn't take long to figure that out. You know, I've had classes in high school where a lot of them were literally criminals <laughs> you know, and you had to handle that a little more Uh, with kid gloves, so to speak.
0: The funny thing is, is that if you look at, because you don't, you can't think of them as criminals.
1: No, no, of course not. Except some of them had felonies, but.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Well, I used to teach felons. Yes. And they they were the most fun students I've ever had. Absolutely. And so with them, I had to be careful because I would forget where I would put my coffee mug. (laughs) and then i'd say where's my coffee mug and they would all just look at me with these blank stares and they'd say you didn't you haven't had coffee yet today so they would start to gaslight me so i'd get out another one and i would pour it Mm -hmm. and pretty soon i would walk around and i'd say where'd this coffee mug come from how'd that (laughs) happen and they just had the best time with it and so and you know a If you have a sense of humor and you can play with them.
1: Exactly. Because
0: some of them have never learned how to interact with adults, Mm -hmm. except for, and it's going to sound very Nietzsche-esque, but master-slave kind of thing, where somebody is always domineering over them and Mm -hmm. telling them what to do rather than working with them. So. On that point, how important is it for a teacher to be a dominant force rather than a mentor?
1: I think it's the dominant force shouldn't be a parent. I mean, it is true that you need to be, they need to know that you are the one in charge. But that can be taken uh, many, many ways. It doesn't mean that you have to, like you said, be domineering to be the dominant force. Um, I used to, in in a lot of students, uh, especially like the ones we were talking about, some that are known for troublemaking, so to speak, I used to let them know that I thought they were important. Find something about them. Talk to them. Find something that they were good at and ask them things for instance i might have a, a fella who is really good at fixing cars okay and so i would find a reason to say hey uh you know johnny my car's been doing blah 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 what do you think that is you know and then he would give me all this. oh well i'm gonna check into that just a little discussion to where or give them something in the classroom to do like, hey, could could you uh, you're pretty good with your hands? Could you go fix such and such for me or whatever it might be? Um, find a strength and play on that strength and they will then realize you respect them. And that's what it goes. What we started off the, the discussion with respect. They're not necessarily used to that. They're used to somebody always telling them what they're doing wrong. And what they have to be doing, and not coming to them for help, and I would sometimes go to them hey, could you could you advise me on this? Could you help me on that?" and then that, that that changes the equation tremendously.
0: I'm getting the thread all the way through about the relationship that you build with the students absolutely and some teachers have a really difficult time I, maybe it's not just teachers, but when they come in, and I remember when I was beginning to work with my young felons, mm-hmm. I stood there and I looked at them and because I built that program from the ground up because I came in right. and I had no idea what I was doing. I had no furniture. I had nothing. All and right. I looked at them and I said, okay, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm not going to judge you, but don't you dare judge me until we get to know each other. So right. let's build this together. And I found that that was actually very effective in teaching all students mm-hmm. because yeah. nobody wants to feel as though they're being judged. No, absolutely. And, and <laughs> jumping to conclusions about people takes much longer for them to change their mind.
1: So. Yeah, exactly and, and and I think too I like to use the term that students need to feel emotionally safe
0: Yes, you know,
1: we're're we're, 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 we concentrate nowadays uh, so much on physical safety which we should of course but uh, students what what I what I've told especially teaching biology and, and tie it in but when when any of us walk into a room immediately our subconscious is checking the room for just make sure everything's safe. We don't realize we're doing it, but we our, our sympathetic nervous system is checking. Say, hey, is this a place I want to be? And so I want students to feel when they see me, when when they walk in my room, they know that within certain reasons they can say what they want to say, and and they're not gonna they're not gonna be have their head bitten off. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna bark at them. Um, even if we don't always agree with something, and they just need to feel safe in that, and then they're going to open up you know so
0: right, so what do you think are the most important pieces of teacher training that are ignored largely by the institutions that are training teachers
1: um, I think that in that same um Idea. One is this is just things that I have found out working with uh, people out of uh, right out of college or in college. Um, One is sounds simple, but it's teacher presentation, voice quality, eye contact, body language. All of this is communication. So how you communicate if you don't communicate correctly to the student and that's not just material, but that's your own feelings, your respect. You could tell a student, hey, I respect you, but your body language says totally different. So I've often thought that, um, that new teachers need to be able I've, I've told many of the new teachers that teaching is a performance art <laughs> in a way. Uh, not that you're up there putting on a dog and pony show, as we call it, but you are in front of people. You're trying to get keep their attention. So I've often thought that Colleges should take just a little bit of time and bring in um, somebody in the theater arts and just show people about their, how to stand, how to walk, how to address people, how to look at their, how to, how to look interested and all, all, also all of this teacher presentation, I I kind of put it under one category. Um, But I think too, schools need to do a better job at, Having teacher mentors, Uh, sometimes they'll give you a mentor, but yet that mentor is teaching a class while you're teaching a class. If somebody has been teaching for 10 years or better and they're your mentor, they need to have a little release time to come in and be in your classroom with you for one class. So Mm -hmm. uh, having having a, a mentor, somebody that you can go to and say, "Okay, how should I handle this situation? and somebody to to give you some ideas and even come in and watch how you handle it. But um, so these are just a few ideas. Um, I think that also the last thing I'll say is about that is that colleges need to put teachers or or prospective teachers in front of classrooms early. Um, I have had situations where the first time that the teacher ever was before students was their senior year in college. Now they've studied education or something like that for four years, three and a half years, and now they're just now getting in front of students. And I've actually had some say, I don't think I want to do this. (laughs) You know, I'm about to graduate and I got to find another profession because I don't think I like it. So I think they need to be, you know, their freshman year when they say we're going to be an educator, they need to be put out into a school, if nothing else, just to be a teacher aid for a month. So just, you know.
0: Right. See, and when I did my teacher training, we -hmm. had practicums. Yes. So we would would go out and we would work with teachers in their classrooms. And most of the people that I spoke to in my cohort said, you got to teach? Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, aren't you? And they said, no, they just have me sitting there or they have me doing X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And so when it came time, I said, well, you have to tell them. Could I teach? Would you feel comfortable with me maybe working and teaching on something. Right. And so some of them were able to do that.
1: Right. And and that could be changing, you know, somebody watching this from a university might say, hey, we don't do that anymore. Well, but that, that was the experience I had. Another thing that I would always do with my practice teachers, now I, I'm dating myself here because um, when I when I was teaching a lot of what a lot of the technology we had was colored chalk. (laughs) That was technology, Mm -hmm. but, but still nowadays a lot of them have all the smart boards and PowerPoints and you name it. And that's fine. But I would always give my uh, student teachers a marker or a piece of chalk, depending on what I had and say for the next two weeks, this is all you use. You've got to learn to engage with these students, but you and them, not all the uh, helping uh, learning uh, uh, technologies and all. No, you're going to learn to engage with these students by simply writing on the board when you need to and talking to them. Now, we're talking uh, high school, uh, upper middle school uh, students that might be different for, you know, second grade or something, but, but they need to first learn to not rely on all the bells and whistles and rely on themselves.
0: I think that is some of the best advice I've heard <laughs> for a brand new teacher. Yeah. And I it's not something that I would have considered.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I would do. I'd hand them a piece of chalk and say, this is it. Not that we had a whole lot of different things in that uh, back mm-hmm. then either, but um, still, and it and I never had. Uh, they would look at me, you know, like deer in the headlights. But it, but by the time those two weeks were up, they were connecting with the students.
0: Yeah, and of and course I would say.
1: And I would stay in the classroom and, and I'd give them some alone time with the students, but I'd stay in the classroom and watch it afterwards, give them some pointers. A lot of it had to do with presentation. Uh, don't just stand behind that podium and talk or behind that desk. Definitely don't sit down. I mean, I don't think a teacher should ever sit down the entire day unless they're sitting there grading papers or something. You've got, when you've got students in there, you're on your feet, you're moving around. But, right. um, You know, you need to be engaging with the students at all times. And the best way to do that is just to jump in the lake and learn to swim. I mean, it's hard to teach that. They have to experience it.
0: What more can you say? Because I think you've said so much. And I know that I'm going to go back through this and I'm going to be taking some notes. (laughs) So the book is... 30 yes. Insights for New Teachers to Thrive, and where can people find it?
1: Um, any of the online booksellers. Um, now, I've, I've had some people contact me and say they called their local bookstores and they were able to order it for them. It's a, a Ro- Roman and Littlefield, the uh, publishers. I have a, a, my own uh, website, uh, kurtrichards.com. So they could go to kurtrichards.com and see um, the name of it if they forget the name or whatever. But yeah, you can go to—I don't want to plug any one particular thing—but you can go to Amazon, you can go to Goodreads, you can go to Barnesandnoble.com, you can go to the, the whole list, and it's and it's there. Uh, you can get it in hardback, paperback, or ebook, book uh, both. Uh, so um, it's very available. It's been out since March, and. Um, I've had, I've had some good uh, comments from it and I, and I would like to hear more if somebody could, uh, you know, go to the my, my email address is on my webpage, and if they read it or get it, they could uh, drop me a note and I'd love to respond. Uh, I basically just like to say that a thriving teacher, in my opinion, is a lifelong learner you are a person who loves not only what you teach you love learning and what i found i would be doing is no matter what i was doing at home i might see something hear something find something and i think of a way that i could use that in my classroom that's when you're truly the heart of a teacher so um i would hope that people would go out there possibly get this book and get something from it. I will add to that the end of the book has got 15, I like to call them humorous stories that are things that has happened in the classroom. And every one of those things has happened to me, even though I wrote them as if they happened to somebody else. (laughs) But um, that was something I did throughout my career. I kept a notebook and I would, um, when something funny would happen, I would just jot it down. And then eventually put it into a book.
0: And and you know, I loved reading those. They made me laugh so hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they're very they're very realistic because yes. uh, and every teacher could probably write their own. I'm sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you very much.
1: Well, I've and enjoyed this immensely.
0: <laughs> and the best to you, and. So that's it for this week, and we will see everybody next week for another episode of Educational Triage, and until then, have a great week. Bye-bye, everybody.